right, welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. My name is Darby Toth, and I'm a Technical Services Field Representative with Western United Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Services Field Representative with Western United Dairies. Hey, Darby, we're still sitting in quarantine as we record episode six here. I know. I can't believe this started six weeks ago already for our just a podcast, not even the quarantine. I know. Time is definitely flying. And we're, I mean, I've noticed this week, especially we're in the middle of chopping um, on a lot of our dairies. So it's been a little quieter on the dairy producer front. I haven't engaged with as many producers as I have been the last couple of weeks, but definitely not a lack of stuff going on in the industry. No, I agree. I have a feeling that this is a, just a tiny little lull where everybody's out shopping and next week it's going to pick up and the phone's going to be ringing off the hook again. Absolutely. Hopefully they're getting a good chance to catch up on episodes while they're out in the tractor during the day. But we have a few exciting things on tap for today's episode and then hoping to bring you some really good content in the next couple of weeks so we can fill all those those hours in the tractor. Exactly. Um, This week, we are going to have a market update with Annie, and then we also have an interview with Annie and uh, Bill Sheik. And then I had a chance to chat with Bob Carroll from CMAB, and then Rochelle's going to give us a Lucheros update, and we're going to wrap up with some member questions from this week. Yeah, and as I said, a little bit quieter on the member front, so we just had one question that kind of came up a lot this week we'll get to, and um, hopefully we'll get you guys back out to enjoy this weather. We had a, a little bit of a weird system come through Humboldt County here this week. Uh, we call it a million dollar rain, a good warm two inches of rain. And now today we're looking at the sun again. So hopefully you guys are having a good spring week in the Valley as well. Yeah, we're sitting back down in the mid seventies, low eighties. So I'm going to enjoy this as long as it lasts. Yeah, definitely good weather for chopping and keeps the cows happy. <laughs> Exactly. Great. Well, we'll jump right into Annie's market update. So welcome, Annie. Annie, we'll jump right into the market update this week and and then we'll go from there. All right. Well, there's some um, improvement this week. So I'm happy to report that it's not like we've seen in the, the past few months of always news of declines and declines. And so um, I mentioned last week that CME price improvements, you know, from the prior weeks should translate into increases for USDA prices. And we finally saw, saw some of that this week. So the gains weren't substantial, but really any upward movement at this point after what we've seen is really welcome news. And so uh, but the butter price um, that goes into the FMMO formula uh, saw a jump of 5.65 cents from a week ago. Um, and what's even more encouraging is that CME butter prices rose by more than 20 cent over the last week to $1.51 per pound. And so they're now standing um, over 30 cents above USDA price. And so that means that hopefully in the next few weeks, some of that increase will trickle into um, our FMMO prices. Uh, the USDA's barrel price did just as well as butter. It was up almost five cents from last week, uh, still low $1.12. But just like butter, CME barrel prices have continued to rise. And so they gained 26 cents in the past week, and they're now at $1.50 per pound. Um, USDA block prices and quite catch the enthusiasm. They lost, you know, almost four cents this week. Uh, but that doesn't mean that CME blocks weren't climbing 
very enthusiastically also. They gained 27 cents per pound um, since last week, and they're now at $1.57. And so just you can see these commodities at CME rallying and means it bodes really well for what's going to happen to our USDA prices. Um, there's no doubt that the announcement of donation programs across the country and all the government do- dollars um, available for a substantial volume of dairy purchases played a role in all the optimism. Um, so, you know, we don't know if this impact will be long lasting, but at least the temporary effect is really noticeable and should really um, mean a, an increase into our USDA prices. The only one kind of dragging is the U.S. E. non-fed drama price. It lost, you know, 1.93 cents this week. It's a uh, 84 cents a pound. Things of the CME moved in the right direction, but not really aggressively. So the price went up five cents, but it's still, you know, 80 cent, 88 cents per pound. So still not the prices that um, are um, substantial enough to generate an increase on uh, producers check. But if we look at the trade data, there was a 4% increase in Mar- March powder exports compared to last year. And so that, um, you know, a bit of improvement on that commodity, which, you know, typically around 60% of powders exported, that makes a big difference. And so hopefully um, U.S. remains competitive, the price is higher overseas. And so we should uh, keep seeing some movement on that front. And finally, the dryway price, it really is the most stable commodity. We're at the 11th consecutive week where the price has been in the 37 cents per pound range. And so just a lot of stability on that one um, continues to be helpful, at least, you know, not, not going downward. Good. Well, a little upward movement and a little stability are good welcome news for sure, Annie. Thanks for that market update. Um, Really quickly, Annie, we've talked a lot with our members over the last few weeks about the USDA price support programs, and we were hoping for some news this week. But once again, the news is that there's no news on particulars of that program. We've been getting a lot of calls from members, though, this week about the um, specifically on Thursday about the USDA webinar that was held. A few people, including you and I, couldn't get onto it. But there is some good news for anyone that wants to view that webinar. It's available online. Um, any other advice or information we can share with our listeners about that program? Yeah, that that webinar was um, very generic. It was for every commodity. And so I think the, the main um, advice really that came out of that is if, if you don't have a relationship with FSA yet, if you've never participated in the program at FSA, um, they recommend contact the office to start finding out, you know, what paperwork um, you'll need to send in. And even if you have worked with FSA, maybe placing a call um, in advance to see if they have all your production data or there's things that they need could be something that could be done, um, you know, proactively. Also, I would like to mention, because I have gotten that question, if you've gotten some PPP dollars or the EIDL, you know, those government um, SBA loans, um, those will not uh, prevent you from getting those dollars through this, um, you know, USDA uh, program. So it's separate. If you've gotten those dollars, great. You're also eligible to participate into this. So don't let that discourage you from uh, working with FSA on this. Absolutely. There's a lot of concern about that. So thanks for that clarification, Annie. Yep. Um, so uh, moving on to the next uh, hot button issue. Um, Annie, last Friday at the end of our episode, we mentioned um, that the CDFA late in the day had called a hearing. Can you give us a little more detail on that and how producers should try to participate if they're interested? Yes. And so, you know, the original hearing was scheduled for April, but with all the COVID-19 concerns got canceled and and definitely postponed. And finally, CDFA decided um, probably to stop waiting for an actual in-person meeting. So they set a virtual hearing. They'll be set for June 9 and 10. So all testimony, whether it's written or oral, will be taken remotely. No in-person participation will be allowed. 
And so it's going to be a webinar basically where uh, people will be able to testify. And so there's going to be a limit of 20 minutes allowed. Um, if you testify live during the hearing, a representative of the attorney general's office will be allowed to ask you questions. But it's not like at the FMMO hearing where, you know, the audience and a bunch of attorneys could ask questions. It's only going to be this representative um, of the AGO's office. And so um, if people want to submit testimony in advance, like written, for example, um, there's an address can be sent to the CDFA legal office at 1220 N Street, Suite 315 in Sacramento. Um, and, you know, if, if you need any help or if any members, you know, is trying to figure out um, how to participate in this, feel free to reach out to me by phone or email. Um, we're always happy to, to help, um, you know, guide whatever your participation want to be. And so this hearing specifically, though, is on quota. I think we didn't, did we mention that? I, I might have forgotten. Um, <laughs> That's okay. We, I we made last week. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, but it's on quota, but not only just on quota, it's not going to be to look at different ways to deal with quota. In particular, it's going to be only on the suspension of Chapter 3.5 because CDFA got a petition from Stop Quit. And what they're requesting is the suspension of Chapter 3.5. And so the hearing, therefore, is very narrow in its scope. And all it's going to look at is the specific chapter. And what happens if you suspend that chapter is basically uh, CDFA lose their authority to have the quota uh, program in place. So quota uh, would go away. And so that's the um, scope of this hearing that's coming up here within the next month. So if producers are out there and they're interested in testifying or want more information, you're available, Annie, by phone and email to, to kind of guide producers and help them prepare testimony, correct? Absolutely. A-N-N-I-E at WDairies.com or 765-543-4483. Awesome. Well, thanks, Annie. Um, so kind of to wrap up your market update this week, we've been talking a lot about supply chain issues and their effects on the markets and how we've been working through some of those. And we're seeing those positive effects, especially on the CME. Um, you had a chance to sit down with Bill Sheik and talk a little bit about what the processing side of the industry has been working on in regards to those issues. Absolutely. I did ask some uh, very valuable questions of uh, Bill Sheik um, to, you know, get his perspective from what's happening at the, the processor and plant level. Great. Well, we will uh, tune into that interview next, Annie. Thanks for your time today. You're welcome. Talk to you next week. All right, so we're happy today to have uh, with us Bill Sheik, who is the executive director of the Dairy Institute of California. Um, for those who are not familiar, Dairy Institute represents um, the interests of all the processors in the state of California. So, Bill, thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here. Good. Um, and so to get started, uh, you know, we've, we talk a lot on this podcast on the, the producer side and what's happened on the, the production and all the issues facing um, our dairy members, but there's also been a lot of logistical issues that have happened um, recently with the COVID-19 crisis. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit, um, you know, what were the, the biggest challenges that uh, processors um, and the plants have, have faced, um, you know, when this crisis started and maybe how that's changed, you know, in recent weeks? Sure. Um, the biggest problem depended on who you are and what you're what your food service exposure was. I think for companies that do to, did a lot of their business in food service, um, their biggest problem, of course, was an immediate drop in demand, seeing their sales fall 
and it, anywhere from uh, 50 to 70 percent in terms of their food ser service sales. So if they were, you know, if they were 50 percent food service, they probably saw anywhere from 25 to 40 percent loss in business. Uh, if they were much higher than that, you know, you're talking about pretty catastrophic losses. On the other side, we had the uh, processors who were primarily uh, retail focused and their biggest problem was keeping up with demand. Uh, they had to run extra shifts, extra hours. They pushed their suppliers pretty hard on deliveries. And I know a lot of the co-ops uh, were busy shoveling milk all around the state to keep up with the extra demand on the fluid side, for example. But um, the, the food distribution channel also had trouble keeping up with um, all the demand at the grocery stores as people started, um, basically they call it pantry loading, right? Where you're filling up your pantry with food, filling up your refrigerator. And so that phase was really chaotic, very, um, maybe chaotic isn't the right word, but it, it, it was frenetic and it caused a lot of, uh, a lot of extra overtime, it caused uh, some hiccups on the distribution side. We, what we found was um, central warehouses where processors were delivering to say a grocery store chain central warehouse uh, and then that warehouse was distributing out to the individual stores. There were bottlenecks that developed in that in that uh, distribution channel. I think the uh, the processors who had direct store delivery actually fared a little bit better, but it still pushed them pretty hard to get their product into the stores as fast as it was needed. Um, but then, you know, a couple weeks later, suddenly uh, people realized their kitchen refrigerators were full and their pantries were full and they pulled back and then suddenly the demand sort of disappeared for a little while uh, and then all that milk got pushed back onto suppliers that you know whereas before you might have been shipping a couple hundred extra loads into Southern California uh, for, for the food plants to meet up the grocery stores uh, then that disappeared briefly and all that milk got pushed back and had to find other homes. So it was very difficult on the supply chain as a whole. Um, in the midst of all that, there was all kinds of other issues coming up. We had some shortages of resin that developed briefly to uh, so that plants that were doing their own blow molding of uh, fluid milk packaging couldn't get all they needed. They were pulling down their inventory and got pretty close, but Basically, the, the, the system bent, it didn't break. Um, so, you know, by and large, we came through that pretty well. Uh, what's been emerging more lately, of course, is the food service demand has not come back. And so those companies focused on that sector are still struggling um, with greatly reduced sales. And they've, they've been trying to figure out how they can backfill with other kinds of businesses some folks have tried to get onto online platforms as a way to, to do more uh, business. But on the, on the retail side, um, I think business is still um, a little bit above where it you know, would have been pre-COVID. Uh, and that's primarily because more people are eating at home. And so there's a lot more product moving through retail. 
but it's not at the frenetic pace we saw early on. Um, one of the remaining things, of course, is how do we keep everybody healthy, uh, all our workers healthy, and how do we how do we keep our supply of the things that we need to keep them healthy coming in? And so, you know, we've had shortages of all kinds of it's, sanitizing wipes would be would be one uh, hand sanitizer. Uh, PPE, uh, personal protective equipment, has been another area where it's been tough to, to get things. But um, people are making do. They're figuring out how to how to use masks that aren't uh, aren't N95. They're figuring out how to socially distance or physical distance in the plants. Um, and they're they're making in some cases making their sanitizer, getting chemists involved and figuring out how to get the product the chemicals they need to make hand sanitizer that'll work. So they're adapting. And I think uh, by and large, things are going pretty well in the plants. We haven't had, at least in California, any major uh, labor outages with the exception of the the food distribution center uh, in Northern California for one of the supermarkets that was reported on um, in the news. That was the only one that really caused some major reconfigurations. Well, that, that's that's good news that we've really um, been seeing progress on on all this. And, you know, from what I've heard, it seems like dairy plants are, are pretty well um, set up already for social distancing. Uh, is that the case for most of the, the processing plants, for most of the dairy products? Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when you look at all the outbreaks that we've seen in the meat processing industry and anybody who's been in any of those plants, you see people standing shoulder to shoulder on an assembly line as as the carcasses move by and everybody has their function that they have to perform to process that carcass. Um, we we tend not to operate that like that in most of the dairy plants. I think some of the smaller ones, you might have more people working around, like a small cheese maker, you might have people working around a vat or working on a more manual packaging type line. Um, but but the, the plants have been able to figure out how can we you know spread workers out, how can we give them the PPE they need to stay safe. Uh, and we haven't had any major outbreaks in California. I will say, though, some have been reported in other states. And um, the issue is not that the plants were doing a bad job in the plants in terms of worker safety, but um, they were finding out that some of their workers were you know, having backyard barbecues with uh, with other folks, uh, and and you know, having social interactions with other folks who maybe were working in the meat processing plant across town, and so they had some infections that were spread that way. Uh, carpooling is another area where it's difficult to social distance, and so you know, uh, part of the problem has been what workers are doing away from uh, away from work, but. You know, education is, is ongoing, and again, I think we, we've been pretty good so far about not having to see uh, lots of worker uh, illness because of, of, the, of the pandemic. Um, we're, we're still vigilant, though, because, I, you know, we think um, this is going to be with us for a while, and so we, it's not time to relax. We've got to keep, keep the pressure on to uh, be doing everything we can to keep workers safe. Yeah, and that really is a critical part because we've seen how that's impacted other industries. You mentioned the, the meat industry, and we've been, I mean, it's not fortunate, but at least on the dairy side, it seems like that 
part of the supply chain has been functioning um, pretty well. And so it's good to hear that those bottlenecks you who move from the warehouses then to um, other areas um, seem to be mostly resolved. And that you, like you said, now consumption of the grocery store is still maybe a little bit higher than it was same time last year, but it's not like the crazy pantry loading that, that we saw um, earlier on. So we'll, we'll keep hoping that that consumption of the grocery store stays high though, because we do need to move um, those dairy products. And that, as a lot of our uh, members pointed out early on, there were some limits on purchases of dairies, uh, a dairy product at, at retail. So I think from um, from most of what I've heard, it seems that most are removed and that's thanks to a lot of your work too um, with the Grocery Association. So we really appreciate the the hand that Dairy Institute gave us in trying to, you know, removing some of those limits to make sure that, you know, if consumers want milk, then they're able to buy it and not, not limited. So um, I think that was a, a big step, but obviously that was not the only issue in the, in the supply chain. Right. And I think we, we thought that what was going on there was, you know, the, the grocery store managers were reacting to the, um, that initial surge and uh, they really weren't sure what the new normal was going to be like. So then even when the supply chain adjusted and was able to get more milk to them uh, and consumers kind of backed off from buying at quite the pace they were buying at initially, uh, some of these stores still kept the limits in place, I think, as a precautionary measure because they didn't know, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there'd be a week lull and then the, the panic buying would start all over again. I think once they saw things had settled down, though, it was uh, and that we could deliver the product they needed, um, they got a little more comfortable and took those limits off for the most part. There, you know, there were some some limits that persisted in some areas, but those had to do with kind of specific supply chain issues with those particular retailers. Well, that is um, that's good to hear. I know we still have a lot of issues coming up. You know, with the the milk price forecast is not looking. Um, the best for the next few months, but hopefully, you know, having a steadier supply chain will help us keep, you know, moving things along and with production, hopefully slowing down a little bit um, as producers react, those low milk prices, uh, maybe the, the balance will be a little bit better than, um, than it, it looks like, you know, will be for the, the price of May, for example. Yeah. So, yeah. well, that, yeah, hope so. Yeah. Hope so. <laughs> I won't ask you what your price forecast is um, for, for May, unless it's good. Do you have something uh, particularly optimistic to share on that front? Um, well, I, I I don't, but I will say this: if you look at what's been happening in the at the CME, um, you know that bodes well. Um, our question is how much of that is a reaction to the food box donation program and all the extra product that is going to be purchased in the next few weeks for that versus a long-term uh, rebound. And I I don't think I think the jury's still out on that, but it's certainly hopeful to see. CME prices recover the way they have. Yeah, and I certainly appreciate that because we know those CME prices tend to trickle their way to USDA prices. So even if it's just a you know over optimistic reaction, we'll we'll take the increase even if it's temporary. It's better than than none at all. So at least I'll have helped with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really want to thank you for spending some time with us um, regarding, you know, the current situation. I know there's always a lot of interest in uh, what's happening on the, the processing side and, and with the plants. And so we really appreciate you taking the time. And hopefully, maybe as things progress, maybe we'll we'll talk again soon and we'll be filled with um, even more good news in terms of how the supply chain is adapting. Yeah, well, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and uh, everybody stay safe out there. <laughs> Thanks, you too. All right. Bye-bye.
Well, thanks, Annie, and a big thanks to Bill Sheik for that great update from the processing side of the industry. And now we're going to jump over to Darby's chat with Bob Carroll, which gives us even more insight. We thought this was a great episode to have both gentlemen on to share with us a little bit about how we're working through the problems in the supply chain and with processing. Well, again, thank you so much for taking time. I'm sure you're extremely busy right now. It's been a busy time for sure. I've been on Zoom all day today, as many people are. Yeah. Um, So kind of long before all of this COVID-19 began, you've been really the boots on the ground retail guru for um, CMAB. Can you tell us a little bit about your role with CMAB? Sure. So I'm the vice president of business development for CMAB. And usually the simplest way that I can explain what business development function does is it's a blend between sales, marketing, and business strategy. So we really look for opportunities across the consumer landscape, across markets, across products, and, you know, from uh, the producer perspective and, uh, and the consumer perspective. At, at the end of the day, our, our mission is to increase demand for products that use real California milk and, and ultimately to improve far, uh, farmer profitability. So my group has three areas. We, we cover domestic retail, we cover food service, and then international. And on the international side, really, our number one priority is, is selling, is finding business opportunities for California fluid milk for class, more class one sales and other value added sales. It sounds like you end up kind of, you know, you end up reaching both sides of things, trying to, you know, reach out as, as far as markets go. And then you're also dealing with, with our farmers. And I'm sure, you know, you have to kind of balance both of those roles as you make decisions and that can't always be easy. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it, it really does come down to the farmers first at the end of the day. That's, that's our, our number one focus. It's obviously who funds CMAB and, uh, there's really no higher priority right now for us than um, than class one, which has the biggest impact on our farmers' checks. Uh, but really, value-added sales in general have have been our focus for quite a while, and, and in the short term, even more so. So, you know, how has all of this continuing to kind of talk about COVID nineteen, this pandemic? How has it changed or altered your role? Or how has CMAB really adapted to the issues that we're facing as an industry? Well, the, the first week after the lockdown, you know, as as most of the world is realizing that there are some fundamental, very fundamental shifts going on in consumer behavior and purchases, uh, we, we decided to pull together a group of experts from, you know, not just dairy, but from other related industries, you know, fresh produce, other California, a CEO of a California produce company was... Um, some dairy experts, and really take a look at where we think this landscape is headed. And we said, listen, we just finished a five-year plan. We did a lot of work on consumer insights, on uh, grow areas that are high potential for growth and how we're going to focus our resources there. But we said, it's time to take another look. And and we really, you know, looking across that landscape, saw as most people did, the, the large imbalances, let's say, between food service and retail and the supply chain issues and how global trade was really uh, interrupted in a lot of cases because of the, the global epidemic 
or global pandemic, I should say. And, and we developed um, five, actually six strategies that we're really squarely focused on now. And the first is focus on the core, which core markets, which is California, and then our export markets where we have value added products that we can sell, especially class one. And our core products, the ones again, that um, are, are large impacts to the dairy farmers. So in California, uh, fluid milk as, as is everywhere, you know, an important component for the dairy farmers. In California, uh, cheese and butter, which we are, you know, we make an awful lot of, and thankfully on the cheese side, we do make a lot of pizza cheese in California and that's a segment that's doing well. But, um, you know, the, the second area is really second strategy is really new commerce connections. So we are, are really focused on this trend that's, that's moving very rapidly where restaurants are becoming grocers. And so we've partnered with Cisco, the largest food service distributor, to really make sure that uh, dairy products and fluid milk are our core offerings for those restaurants, um, promoting that in concert with Cisco to their restaurant customers. And we're also looking at other ways that we can help distribute uh, or help encourage distribution of fluid milk, working with um, food trucks, for instance, in the Bay Area right now in a test that is really bringing a food service distributor truck and food trucks that can do direct to consumer sales in, into locations that can sell milk and other dairy products. Um, we're bringing, we're, we're supporting efforts that are bringing our specialty cheeses together into offerings that a consumer can buy maybe four specialty cheeses in a box this month and, and then four different specialty cheeses the next month. So there's a bunch of new consumer touch points as consumers are looking for fewer trips to the grocery store or early on, we're not able to find uh, even find milk. And so that was one of the other big things that we focused on are those limit signs that were on the store shelves, on the dairy cases, limiting how much milk a consumer could buy. So we uh, brought in, first, first thing we did is send our team into the marketplace to assess what was going on. And we called an awful lot of uh, retail headquarters. And in most cases, the retail headquarters were saying, oh yeah, the limit signs should be off by now. That was really just for the first week with the panic buying, but we found store managers were not taking them down. So we, we sent, we went into the top 300 grocery stores with merchandisers and uh, helped stock the dairy case, talk to the store managers. Uh, we've been able to take down hundreds of, of those limit signs and, and help keep milk stocked. So that was a big one. Um, you know, we're, we're working to really help reimagine what food service is going to look like. You know, I mentioned pizza being an important category for California dairy. Uh, we're working with several pizza chains to, um, to really promote California milk, to promote that local partnership. And, uh, and, and then we're also not forgetting about innovation. So, you know, we've had a long-term vision to bring together Cal Poly, Fresno State, and UC Davis, as well as the, the California processors, um, to really think about long-term, what, what are the needs that California has for innovation to help us move from you know, the large commodities that aren't as much value back to the dairy farmer to more, more innovative products that ultimately 
processors will pay more for the milk because they have, there are higher margins there. So we, we continue to work on that uh, across across the industry. Um, and and like I mentioned before, also uh, there are still export opportunities for for value added products, even though the logistics system's a little bit gummed up. <laughs> That's been, that's really a lot of great information. That's so interesting that you bring up the the kind of direct to consumer restaurant sales. Cause I've seen that so much just even in local restaurants that I follow on Instagram or, you know, kind of keep up with and they've started putting together these boxes that they're selling to consumers or like a little kind of mini grocery store at their yeah. restaurant. And so that's such a neat opportunity, I think, to get, California dairy products out to consumers. It really is. And there are some longer term pieces to that, that I I think are going to stay. I I do think that restaurants are going to have less, they're obviously going to have less traffic due to social distancing, even after they open and another revenue stream of grocery products is going to help. But, but Cisco also has, uh, you know, ideas and, and plans that are longer term as well that we've been working on with, 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 them to make sure dairy is part of, say, an Uber Eats order for that restaurant that is now carrying uh, dairy products and other staples. So there, there, there really there are some silver linings that I think will uh, will benefit dairy products in the long run. It's just the short runs tough on everybody. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it was so important to so many, obviously all of us in the beginning when we had these, you know, you talked about the milk limits and your guys' partnership working on getting those removed. And it's, it's been great to see kind of that come to fruition, but now it's as the pandemic panic buying kind of goes away. It's so interesting to see how you're planning on moving that strategy long-term. Yeah. You know, that that particular strategy of sending merchandisers in the store isn't something that will be long-term. I mean, that's ultimately the, yeah. the store's jobs to be stocking the shelves. But one thing that we are able to do, you know, I mean, there are retailers who have kept those shelves stocked and, and have in, invested in the labor. I know there are large retailers who haven't even been able yet to fill all of the new labor gaps. You know, they they are incredibly, incredibly busy as, as so many consumers have shifted their eating behavior. And, uh, and so much more of our food is coming out of grocery stores instead of restaurants from restaurants. And, uh, you know, but I think in the long run, um, this trend toward fluid milk and this idea that families are eating breakfast together more now becomes an important, a really important strategy for us to maintain over the long run. Because I, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, what's old has become new again. And families connecting over breakfast and over meals in general and parents cooking with their kids and, uh, and, and wanting to teach their kids healthy options. Um, you know, we're, we're also really building out a breakfast focused platform of, of marketing ideas and promotional ideas that will bring in influencers uh, in social media, but also um, engage consumers, you know, to ask them, how are you, working with your kids, you know, are you doing smoothie creations or what are your, what are your ideas and, and, and promoting this great connectivity that's happening between families and, you know, fluid milk, the last, the last week that we have data for was still up double digits in California. And, and I'm not predicting that's going to stay at the double digit growth rate, you know, long past COVID, but we want it to come back to growth. I mean, ultimately our, 
our vision is that class one production, fluid milk production in California will co- go back to growth. Yeah, I think it's just great to see CCMAB stepping in into that space of connecting with influencers and connecting with that demographic that's making these purchasing decisions and making these, you know, um, choices with their kids that their kids are hopefully going to carry on throughout the rest of their life. Yeah, it's a big opportunity. You know, I mean, they, there are a lot of difficult times through this crisis, but I also think that in a lot of ways, it's it's a reset. You know, it's a chance for a reset anyway, and certainly something that we want to encourage when it comes to uh, to dairy being central at breakfast, to dairy uh, really with consumers and their kids in their homes. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us today. It's been nice. I know um, it's a hard time and there's a lot of, depressing news kind of coming out and it's nice to look at the bright side of this or the hopefully the opportunity side of how do we move forward with what we're considering our new normal and take advantage of these new opportunities um as we kind of wrap up is there anything else you'd like to add you know i I think just kind of the, the the final message is that um nobody really knows what what the end looks like here and flexibility is super important i i think that's one of the core planning principles that we put in place right away is to say we need to be we need to be flexible and not give up on the long-term strategic plans but we have to be able to adapt as as consumers do and that's something that we're keeping our eye on closely and and we're ready to um to grab these opportunities wherever wherever we can And, and again focus on our farmers' profitability, getting more profit back to the farm, improving the mix of products. And uh, and there there are a lot of opportunities right now in front of us, and there will be more down the road that we're going to be keeping our eyes out for. Well, thanks so much again. I really appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you, Darby. Bye. Bye. Hello, Dairy members of Western United Dairies. Hoping everyone had a nice week. My name is Rochelle, and I'm with Western United Dairies and Lecheros Unidos de California. I hope all dairy members hire any type of experienced employees for their dairies. We have them available and looking for work since the COVID-19. Most people were laid off and are now in need to work, but we are trying to do this the safest way possible to get them placed into dairies. For this week, I have the following employees in these areas of California. Sacramento County, I have milkers, Merced County, I have milkers and outside dairy labor, San Joaquin County, I have milkers in Stanislaus County, any dairy labor experience, cow feeders and milkers. If you are looking to hire someone these days, feel free to call the office at 209-527-6453 or you can email me at rashe. L L at W U D A I R I E S dot com. Remember, we are here to help you out in any way on your dairy to stay productive. Thank you and have a nice day. All right, well, as we're wrapping up this episode, we are going to chat for just a minute about a member question. Um, I think the most popular questions we've gotten this week have to do with the USD webinar on Thursday. 
since a lot of members maybe couldn't log on. Melissa, can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, I had quite a few frantic phone calls Thursday morning when um, the webinar started. And myself, in addition to several of our dairy producers and even Annie, tried to log on to the webinar and we didn't quite make it into the 10,000 person limit. So that was obviously a really popular um, webinar. It turns out that the information in the webinar, the good news is there wasn't much news that anybody missed by not logging on. The other good news is that webinar is up on the website. So if you go to www.farmers.gov and you scroll down about half the page, you can click on and view the webinar. It's about 15 minutes long. And basically what it was, was an update from USDA on how producers should connect with the Farm Services Agency in preparation for the producer price support programs that are coming. And most producers in the dairy industry are already engaged with FSA through various programs, including um, the DMC program. But just in case a producer has never worked with them, it's really important that they call their FSA office this next week, try them on Monday morning, um, they made it very clear on the webinar that all business will be conducted over the phone for the time being. So there's, you know, a little bit of safety there, but give your local FSA office a call, let them know that you're a producer that would like to engage with FSA and you've never been with them before, or if you have been with them before that you would like to double check that all of your records are up to date in their system. So that's one important step we can take while we're awaiting the release of the program and the signups is to make sure all our decks are in a row with FSA. So hopefully that answers a lot of questions that are out there. And again, if you missed that webinar and you want to check it out, it's at www.farmers.gov and just scroll down about half the page. It will take you um, to a YouTube link and you can watch it. And it's, it's a, a really good informative piece about just how to get geared up for those programs. Unfortunately, we're still not um, sure about any details for the program, but as soon as we hear we will be communicating with our producers through email channels, probably a bonus episode for the podcast and any other way. Um, we may even send out a, a group text message just to let you guys know that it's time to engage with FSA. Thanks, Melissa. That was a nice update. And I think you condensed their 15 minutes to a very brief couple minutes. <laughs> I almost perfect amount of information. <laughs> I know. I was wondering if I was talking almost as long as them. It was a little bit funny. It's it's so interesting to me in this new world of, of Zoom where we're kind of being brought into people's homes, just how these webinars play out. And they did a really good job. It was kind of cute at the beginning. The, the gentleman from USDA talked a little bit about his farm and the weather in Pennsylvania. And I personally, I, it, it was kind of funny, but I also enjoyed it. it. It brought me back a little bit to the fact that these, you know, may be government employees, but they also are um, producers and they understand what, um, and share what we're all going through right now. So um, yeah, it was a good, it was a good 15 minutes and I think producers can probably listen to it in the background and pick up, pick up the information. <laughs> I agree. Well, um, we're looking for some fun new content in the upcoming weeks. Um, we're going to be looking at a labor update, an environmental update with Paul Souza. We're hopefully going to meet CMAB's new director of producer relations, Dana Garadelli, and along with lots of other exciting content. And on that note, if there's something that you're really interested in hearing about on the podcast or any feedback that you have, please email us at wud.pod at gmail.com. Yeah, that's wudpod at gmail.com. And you can always also reach out to Darby or I. Um, via email or phone, um, members have our contact information if they need anything in relation to the podcast or just a membership issue. We're happy to help out. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the upcoming weeks. We have some exciting content coming and 
Um, I've been a good friend of Dana's for a long time. I'm excited to have her on. She recently transitioned to CMAB and what a time to move into a new job. They hopefully this will be a good way for her to meet our our membership and, and get to know Dairyman and they can get to know her a little bit through the podcast. Okay, well, I think th- I think that's it for this week, Darby. We will see everyone or hear everyone next week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, everyone. Special thanks to Western United Dairy's 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, FNR Ag Services, Farm Credit Alliance, Moss Energy Works, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information about how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at woodairies.com. That's I-N-F-O at W-U-D-A-I-R-I-E-S dot com. 